This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Before we get started, I'd like to introduce our special guest, John Craman. John, how are you doing today? Hey, I am doing great, and I have really been looking forward to spending some time with you. Awesome. Thanks, John. Well, before we find out what you're actually doing today, if you would, please tell me, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, it started, uh, my mom tells a story the best, around two years old, my dad was in the car business, sold used cars, said that I, w- I had a preoccupation with cars, little toy cars, and I would look at different cars and, and explain what the differences were, even at a young age. So I suppose I knew right from an early age it was going to have something to do with cars, and it did work out that way. Now, did you find it was easier to do that when you were younger than cars were, you know, a lot more variety of cars back then, at least in shape and maybe like from a brake light perspective? Do you find it harder today? Well, it's different today, although the fact that the cars don't change as much today <laughs> as they did back then, in a way, makes it a little bit easier to identify cars. Um, you know, back, if we go back to the late 50s, all through the 1960s, with a few exceptions, pretty much every year the cars would change, and sometimes radically. Mm. And it wasn't always easy to stay abreast of that. Well, now cars will almost always have a four-year cycle, and many cars will even go way beyond that. A good example is the Dodge Challenger was reintroduced back in 2008, and here we are 2019, and the body style is essentially unchanged. It's had a few trim differences, but overall the shape's identical. Yeah, yeah, and we're kind of alluding to what you do for your day job, but before we get there, what was one of your favorite subjects or hobbies while in school? I was a voracious reader, and I think that that is uh, a, a lot of the knowledge that I've accumulated uh, from just from an early age. I love to read, and I especially love to read history and books, primarily nonfiction, uh, a lot of biographies, and a lot of technical books. And I just seem to have an interest there and a tremendous enjoyment, and I still do that today. I have a huge book collection, love to go to the library, and spend as much time reading as I can and just soaking up information. That's really great. So you had a penchant for cars and trying to figure out different things about cars, and you love to read. So what was one of your first jobs? Well, the very first job I had was uh, a job that no longer even exists, and that was pumping gas. We go back <laughs> to the days of, of where you didn't self-serve your own uh, gas. You would actually pull up to the pump, and a tenant would come out and would ask for your fuel order and would uh, wash the windows and pop the hood and check the oil and look for anything that might be out of shape or something might have been leaking or something. And it was a perfect way for a young guy to, to uh, get involved with cars in an entry-level position. It's uh, you know kind of a bygone era from that standpoint, though. Well, if you would, take us from that moment pumping gas as your first job to what you actually do today. If you would, kind of walk us how you got there. Yeah, it was kind of a, wasn't necessarily a straight line. I actually ended up being an auto mechanic when I was still in high school. I had the fortunate chance to go to work at a speed shop, a high performance shop, uh, as an entry level job installing aftermarket wheels and tires and air shocks and traction bars and all the kind of technical things that were very popular back in the 70s as a retrofit to old cars. And I actually developed a friendship with a guy who was an aircraft mechanic of all things. 
And I'd always had an interest in airplanes as well. Cars and airplanes always ran together, mechanical aspect of it. And long story short, I became an FAA-licensed aircraft mechanic and eventually a pilot as well. And I did that, uh, was involved in the aviation world as a pilot, as a mechanic, and also in aircraft sales for a 20-year time frame, uh, but then decided to go off into a direction that was my first and my true love, and that's cars. In 2006, I was hired by Mecham Auctions at the time, uh, looking to greatly expand their reach and their presence by adding some staff. I started as director of consignments, helping uh, the Mecham team gather the consignments necessary for auction. And in 2008, my world shifted. We went on television with our show, Mecham Auctions, and I was selected to be the commentator analyst on the TV show. So for the past 12 years, in addition to full-time office duties at Mecham Auctions, handling consignments and other duties, I'm the guy people hear and listen to on the Mecham Auction telecast. What better way for a lifelong car guy from, a, from age two uh, ab- absorbing information on cars and being able to share that knowledge and that enthusiasm and that passion with all of our viewers on TV. It's awesome. Wow, yeah, that's really great. I'm very envious of your job for sure. So that's super cool. Well, what, what like you sold airplanes for a while, it sounds like, and you were even a pilot. So how did that prepare you for what you do today? Well, what it did is, is it took another passion. It took a secondary passion of mine, and it kind of got that out of the way. Aviation is very fulfilling and very interesting and very exciting in its own right. But it's really great that you might, uh, during one's life, have a couple of uh, opportunities to sort of spread your wings and head off in different directions. So I was able to sort of check off that interest level box in aviation as kind of a been there, done that thing. And when I had the opportunity to go to work for Mecham Auctions, it's like all of the all the pieces just fit perfectly together. Um, as part of the Mecham management team, like I say, since 2006, this auction company has grown from a mid-pack auction company to be the world's largest by far. We handle 20,000 consignments annually. We've got 13 different car auction venues located around the country. We handle we we do about 400 million dollars in sales annually. About 150 full-time employees. And about 300 employees we bring on site to do our auctions, 40 of which are part of the television crew. So I've had two very fulfilling, very exciting careers, and I just could not be more grateful that my specific sliver of aptitude in a couple of these areas, I've been able to use that. It honestly is a lifestyle as opposed to you know a job that you come in in the morning and you leave in the afternoon or evening. It's full encompassing. I own cars. I collect cars myself. My wife does. It has an interest also, and my, my kids do. They're all grown up now. Just so grateful that I've had the opportunity to get, have a couple of different career paths that have allowed me to use my skills. It doesn't always happen that way. Yeah, for sure. And your passion, obviously, you're passionate about cars. So we exactly. talked a little bit, yeah, just prior to this call about what a crazy schedule you have going on here. It's typically, I ask, what's your typical day or work week like? But <laughs> I guess for you, it might be, what's your work month like? <laughs> yeah, each month is a little bit different. As I mentioned, we have 13 collector car auctions. I actually will spend time on the road uh, prior to those auctions in those various cities. Uh, once, maybe uh, twice before each individual auction, uh, starting maybe about a month out doing promotional work with radio stations, magazines, newspapers, a lot of presentations to car clubs, uh, do presentations to uh, some investment groups, high net worth individuals, none as a particular sales pitch, but just sharing the joy and the satisfaction and the pluses and some of the minuses of owning and operating a collector car. Let's say you've got a 
an auction coming up next weekend. It's a three-day auction, maybe a Thursday to a Sunday. Tell us kind of what does it look like for you if it starts on a Thursday? You get there on a Monday, you get there on a Wednesday, and what is your shift level like? Are you starting in the morning, you go till the evening? Like, Kind of walk us through that. Sure. I, I will arrive at the auction uh, if this makes sense. The day before, the day before, we actually are on air. So if the auction, the televised portion, and each auction is a, is a different length, is going to start on a Thursday, I'll use the Tuesday as a travel day to get there and get settled in. And so I'll have one full advance day, in this particular case Wednesday, to do not so much to prep for the show, but to get other MECA management responsibilities wrapped up and cleared up so I can have a clear mind for our television broadcast. A typical day in a day of the life of Mecham Television will be a production meeting in the morning, and that will vary depending on what time the auction is going to start, but we usually be anywhere between 7.30 and 9 a.m. That always lasts a half hour. We keep it to a half hour. We have a crew meal where all 40 members of the TV crew eat together. That's We schedule that for one hour, and then typically the TV show will start about two hours after that, but we will have other duties specifically related to the TV show. One of my roles is to proofread all of the on-screen graphics that are going to show up in that telecast. Oh, wow. <laughs> might you think that there might not be very many? A typical show length is going to be anywhere between six and eight hours per day. Mm. So being being sort of the car guy and the policeman of the of the bunch, I will in advance. They will put up on the screen uh, all the all the on screen graphics, so I can make sure that they're accurate, they're relevant, and they're spelled correctly. Quite a responsibility. Wow. Yeah. And we bang through those, and then a half hour before we actually go on air, we get into position and we do a rehearsal. Now you say, well, how do you rehearse a you know, a six or seven or eight hour show. We just rehearse the open, the show open, and it's always going to be a little bit different. So we'll rehearse maybe the first 10 minutes of it where we're introducing the auction, what we might have to look forward to, and then introducing all the other team members and then any feature cars that they might be featuring at the top of the show to look forward to later in the show. We'll also preview those. We'll rehearse the previews of those as well so that when we get ready to go on the air, we've already kind of been there and done that. And then once that's done, the show starts, we've got the open, we settle into position, and it's literally hour after hour after hour of collector cars. We usually schedule about 35 cars per hour, so the action is really fast. And as typical of the Mecham auction, the variety of the inventory is is unbelievable. $5,000 cars to multi-million dollar cars can cross the auction block on the same day. Yes. And so for those of our listeners who haven't checked out my auto podcast called Auto Sausage, I actually just did a Mecham review of 14 fabulous Thunderbirds that sold at the Indianapolis auction a few weeks ago. So be sure to check that out. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you are an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by career cluster. So, John, we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up and what you do today. So looking back, what would you do differently? Well, you know, I was pretty lucky to have come from a time period where um, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of knowledge, and a little bit of vocational training could take you pretty far. And uh, I was able to uh, very early on take advantage of the vocational opportunities that were allowed to me in the high school and post-high school level, some of those opportunities don't exist today. It just seems like most of the uh, educational uh, classes and the strategy is to get people prepared for um, you know, a four-year college degree and beyond. 
And like I say, I was lucky where I was I was in uh, auto shop, which they had back then and pretty much every high school. In my junior and my senior year, I had post-high school training, and that helped set me up for what I do today, both back in the aviation field and then, of course, in the automotive field today. If I was to do it all over again and I was starting from scratch today in today's environment, I wouldn't change much other than I would get a some type of a formal college education with a tie-in with a vocational background. Plenty of great two-year schools out there where you can uh, come out with a degree in automotive tech and the job opportunities, this sounds like a pitch, it's not, the uh, job opportunities for folks coming out of vocational training now in the automotive field, and this could include uh, heavy equipment, diesel trucks, aviation as well. The jobs are incredible, but you have to have some type of a post-high school vocational training to get the attention of those employers. You know, having something you can really hang your hat on is really going to pay off, and you don't have to necessarily end up with a formal four-year degree to be able to get to that point. Yes, to your point, I actually met with one of the local workforces recently at a technical vocational college, and you are right on. There is a big need across multiple industries for someone with a two-year degree that specializes in something of that sort. So that's a great point. Well, and the pay is shockingly impressive as well. It's, you know, supply and demand, uh, you know, affects many of the prices of the goods and services that we use. And uh, the same thing applies to the shortage right now of uh, qualified, motivated techs, auto techs, diesel techs, marine techs, fill in the blank aviation techs and it's a great uh it's a great job to get started in it's a great pay and uh it's a fulfilling career being able to use your hands and your enthusiasm and your brains to uh you know keep keep things moving for those of us that got gasoline in our veins it's it's what we live for right totally agree well let's make the assumption someone in our audience wants to do what you do which i'm one of those people so if <laughs> if you could give them some type of advice what would you tell them to do is there a typical career path sounds like there's not one for what you're doing today you know what no i mean what obviously what i do is being you know working for a collector car auction company and then ultimately being on television you know sharing this with our you know with our viewers is a you know is a very narrow niche but that having said um, you know, some of the keys, I think, that help set various people apart, there's a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge, and there's a lot of people that have a lot of enthusiasm, but it really takes that extra level of drive and focus and not afraid to open doors and not afraid to ask questions and not afraid to kind of operate outside of the normal sort of a uh, a box of safety. Um, you definitely want to let anybody know, any potential employer know, uh, if you're aware of your particular interest to get involved with them. You don't want to be shy about it. Uh, at the same time, it, the grass is not always greener on the other side. So part of being able to sort of maneuver your way through a career path is to really have a clear idea of exactly what you want and to try to do as much research as you can in advance of the different opportunities and ultimately the different employers, uh, and then go for it with gusto. And I would say that if you've got the training, the education, the enthusiasm, and the ability, 
you're going to probably set yourself apart from the other folks vying for the same position. It's worked for me. Well, are there any current projects you're working on that you would like to share? I know you've got a couple auctions coming up. Well, yeah, we do. We're always on the go. In fact, uh, the week of uh, June the uh, 17th will be in Portland, Oregon. Uh, the week following that, I'll be out uh, Cape Cod for the 25th annual Big Father's Day, the big show. It takes up the whole weekend out there on beautiful Cape Cod, about an hour and a half or so outside of Boston, be a, a guest there, and then uh, come back home for a week and be in the office and enjoy the 4th of July long weekend. And then the week after that, the week of July 8th, off to Denver for an auction, and it just continues and rolls on uh, in indefinitely. Uh, I've got cars at home that need uh, that need attention. I've got a little small collection of 12 cars and five motorcycles that I enjoy tinkering with and try to make a little bit of time for that and you know, finally try to schedule a little bit of time uh, off in the middle of summer, probably August during our Monterey, California auction. Might take a week, my wife and I, and spend some time uh, in Southern California just relaxing and decompressing a bit before we jump back into the early fall season where it all rolls over again. Well, for the record, I'll drive any of your cars whenever you need some help, okay? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> well, as with most journeys, success largely depends on reliable transportation. And since I'm a huge car enthusiast, would you tell me, what was your first car? Uh, 1966 Pontiac Tempest. It was a two-door custom with the overhead cam six engine. I had that car for eight years. It was a great car. I loved it. And uh, but uh, my second car is a little bit more more interesting. I bought it in July of 1976 when I was 19. It's a 1964 Pontiac GTO. If you see a Pontiac mm, yeah. theme here, you'd be correct. Anyway, I bought that 64 GTO in uh, July of 1976, and I still own that exact car today. I've kept it all these years. Wow, that, it's a 389? 389 tri-power, four-speed, just like the song. Three deuces yeah. and a four-speed and a 389. What color? Cameo ivory, which is the white with the dark aqua interior. Remember when they had Whoa. colored interiors in cars? Yeah. Remember wow. those days? <laughs> yep. Wow, that's crazy. Well, what is your dream car? Well, like a lot of guys, uh, I like to stay with uh, one of the icons, if not the top icon from the 1960s. Let me guess, Ferrari GTO. Well, you're you're not too far off the mark. A okay. little bit, a uh, little bit more affordable, but but still a seven-figure million-dollar-plus car. Got to be a mid-60s 427 Shelby Cobra, not a replica, a real deal, factory-built Cobra. The performance still incredible, even by today's standards. You know, really famous for back in the time period. It, they would claim it would accelerate from zero to 100 and then back down to zero in around 10 seconds. Lightweight, 22, 2300 pounds, that FE427, uh, depending on if it was single carb or multiple carb, how it was set up, could put out around 500 horsepower. So your horsepower to weight ratio was impressive, even by today's standards. And that's the car that every time I think about a dream car, it's got to be one of those. The styling, the racing reputation, the Shelby connection does it all. That's awesome. Well, one great perk to some job is a company car. So if I had all the money in the world, I'd love to buy you a company car based on your job. So yours was really interesting. So what I decided to do is I looked at, you're all about cars, obviously, and you're also all about promoting and selling these cars in a positive and cool way. And so I thought, all right, which car or cars had a big push from a marketing 
publicity standpoint, and let's see if you can guess what I'm talking about. In the mid-50s, early 50s, there was a big group of cars traveling the country. Uh, would that be the GM Motorama cars? Exactly. So I did not pick for you the Pontiac Bonneville. I've already picked that for a guest of mine on Learn From Others. I can't use that one again. But what I did pick for you is just as gorgeous. The 1954 Buick Wildcat 2 Motorama Absolutely. car. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. And I don't think this car has ever been through an auction anywhere. It's, you would know better than I do. Have you ever seen that one pass through an auction? No, and it's interesting that you say that because there are a handful of those Motorama cars from, say, 53 through the late 50s that still exist today, and I'm not sure... I'm not sure if that Wildcat 2 is still around, if it's still part of the GM Heritage Collection. A lot of those cars were not saved for posterity. They were used as show cars, and sometimes they were modified into the next year's show car, and then sometimes they just they just fell by the, by the wayside and got destroyed. Well, apparently this one did fall by the wayside, but it was found in a junkyard like 20 oh. years ago, and it's in the Sloan Museum right now. So it does ex- still exist, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Yeah, the Sloan, the Sloan Museum, of course, uh, the Buick experts. Yeah, so if I had all the money in the world, that's the car I would get for you as your cool company car. Oh, it would be incredible. Yeah, those Motorama <laughs> cars. That whole era, the styling, the aviation-themed styling, the advancement of uh, horsepower, the V8 engine just coming into vogue then, getting more and more power each year, and then the Eisenhower... Uh, highway system coming into the mid to the late 1950s allowed us to get out in our fast, flashy, space-age-looking cars and cover the country in short time. What a what a what a decade of transition! Those Motorama cars really represented just the absolute top cars, the wildest-looking cars from that time period. Yeah, I had a chance to sit in one of the Motorama buses in the driver's seat, yep. which was really yep. cool at a car show a couple of years ago. And I know you've had, I think you had one of those come through your auction years ago. Yeah, that's got that center, that center seat yep. up by way of sitting way up high. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, really, really cool. Thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you or your company, Meekum? Well, I'll tell you, we've got a very active website. It's Meekum.com. I don't want to brag, but I will say that if you're into cars and you're specifically interested in looking at pictures and specifications and the sale prices of cars, be sure to check out Meekum.com. It is a very easy resource to tap into. You can use the car search feature, very easy to use. You can sort and correlate and pull up cars. There are thousands and thousands of cars of all years makes model on there, and it is many people's resources for not only figuring out the prices and determining prices of these cars and helping people because there's so many comparables, but also just to gain car knowledge in general. General, highly recommended. Of course, tune in to NBCSN and watch Meekum auctions on on television, and uh, those are hour after hour of automotive history lessons. And we try to weave into that too a lot of the pop culture things that were going on that time period, things that may have impacted or reflected the reasons why cars evolved the way that they did over time. Uh, keeping in mind that the the evolution of, of automobiles, right from the time that we started seeing them in quantity, from the the turn of last century up to the present day has pretty much been right in line, right in step with the way the rest of the world has evolved in regards to fashion and ideas and styling and different things. And it's fun to contrast and compare the differences 
as the automobile has evolved, especially from an America standpoint. We cover that a lot on the show. That's awesome. I use that website probably three times a week, so it is very intuitive, Excellent. very easy to access. No issues whatsoever. Love it. So, well, John, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.